एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड इन द सीरीज रूह बाय टीम चिपनवे एज वी सॉ प्रीवियसली वी लर्न हाउ द होलिस्टिक वेलबीइंग ऑफ एन इंडिविजुअल इंक्लूड्स देयर फिजिकल बॉडी एज वेल एज देयर मेंटल वेलबीइंग टू नो मोर अबाउट हाउ एस्पेक्ट्स एंड ट्रेंड्स इन मेंटल हेल्थ हैव डेवलप्ड इन साउथ एशिया वी हैव विद अस डॉक्टर शिल्पी राजपाल a postdoc fellow at the department of english germanic and romance studies university of copenhagen she is also the author of the book curing madness a social and cultural history of insanity in north india during the 1800s to 1950s published by the oxford university press new delhi in december 2020 hi shilpi hi akash and hi durga hi there so let's start off with my usual question So what do you do? I'm a historian who works with archives. I've been reading archive from the 1930s and I'm right now trying to write a paper on mental hygiene movement, which is a very interesting period about eugenics and the hygienists talking about the influence of environment and social habits on the mind and body. So that's what I do. But yes, my previous book looked at the broad 19th and early 20th century and I tried to cover till the 1950s. I just touched upon several things there which I'm still digging into more, but I tried to make sense of chronology, politics and psychiatry, patients, relationships behind the walls. everyday practices like food and what it meant to be incarcerated and insane in colonial india wow that is fascinating you mentioned lot of if i may sub categories of study made be historical social or even psychoanalytic could you tell us a little more about your methodology and working with the archives of 19th and 20th century india i'm a social historian So I think my broader category of analysis and broader method of analysis has been to delve into the lives of patient and one name which comes to my mind who really influenced the way I think is Roy Porter It is Potter who gives a very historical archival based understanding of how to write history and how to do patient's history from below trying to understand the absences and silences in archives is exciting but also it takes a lot of time to make sense of them so again a very primary source based understanding of time which focuses on the social history of that time that is brilliant i think we hardly focus on the absence or lack of things especially when it comes to archives or other historical and archaeological data i wonder how would you approach or maybe define mental health and hygiene of colonial india mental health is a different word mental hygiene is a very different word that's one thing and when you we think about mental illness the category kept on changing and with the category the meaning kept on changing when you go to the archive and you start reading them throughout the 1800s 1820s 30s 40s these places were called insane hospitals and especially after 1850s you see more and more the term colonetic asylums being used then it's only by the 1930s when there is a very serious debate where the term mental hospital started to replace lunatic asylums and these words are just not words they are also in certain ways talk about changing therapies changing notions about illness and cure 
when I'm talking about cure per se, I'm talking about in the 19th century, which was a very prominent idea, was that of moral treatment or moral management. Because 1700s, it was believed that madmen are animalistic in their behavior. Somewhere the enlightenment ideas which started to believe in the change in the attitude about mental illness and how mental illness was perceived and in the idea that it should be treated with kindness and the very idea of moral management where these patients would be managed in the asylum with routine food and daily activities where mundane is extremely significant for the idea of management and a structured mundane becomes important which work is there food is there rhythms of the day are important because that was believed you know to cure them in certain ways and of course surveillance is there surveillance which would make them realize that this is wrong and this is right which Foucault talks about being trapped in your own conscience that way so these ideas start to change by the beginning of 20th century because the idea especially with the rise of social darwinism becomes very very prominent you know, the ideas of degeneration start to be prevalent they say they're like they are not recovering the asylums are full of these madmen and of course women where they were in context of india they were less it is also the turn for the biological psychiatry where you see number of new therapies new ideas about curing starts emerging from protecting them to curing them you know these ideas change and this is i think the longer period of comprehending insanity what i have tried to look at are there any specific archives from specific regions that you focused on more in your work? I wanted to work on Punjab when I started my journey. But being a historian of Punjab is not easy because you cannot travel on the other side. That was a very serious hurdle. So I consciously enlarged my area by looking at Agra, Banaras, Bareilly, which is UP and Punjab. So these are two places which I consciously chose for my PhD research. In UP, there was a mental hospital in Banaras. There was a mental hospital in Bareilly, Agra. And in Punjab, there was in Delhi and Lahore. So there were two mental hospitals. So these are the regions which I've looked in. I have traveled to most of them. Banaras in Hindi, Nagri, Pracharni, Sabha. I have been also to Bareilly, to Agra. If you go to my appendix of the book, there are a lot of cases from the Agra mental hospital. And of course, in Chandigarh, Amritsar. So I've looked at these places, but I just only could go to Lahore, I think during my postdoc at Aizar Mohali. Yeah, so that's when I could go to Pakistan and dig more archives from the Lahore Mental Hospital. Oh, that must be fascinating. Do you have any reflection of pre-colonial records, maybe at the princely states, that are reflected in these colonial archives and then on? Maybe in the form of practices or some local way of looking at mentally challenged person? I do have an entire chapter which is based on Hindi sources, which does talk about the Ayurvedic ideas around mental illness, how mental illness was perceived and understood. But I don't know much from early modern or medieval. I know now there is someone who is working on it. 
So I'm really hoping something soon is really in the pipeline and he is doing a PhD abroad. So I'm very excited to look at madness in Mughal India, how it was treated and how it was understood. So there are records of people who suffered from insanity have in some way documented them. But no one has systematically so far worked on them. But there does exist a brilliant PhD thesis on madness in ancient India that was done in the 1970s. So we can see that mental health is a concept that even probably ancient people could identify and realize. So how would you trace, say, development of mental illness, its understanding and these process of trying to cure them in these long time periods and their evolution? Like any other illness, I think as an illness it did exist. But the question is how the people around them treated these patients as such or people with these sickness. What was regarded to be normal and what was not regarded to be normal. And I think that remains a very cultural idea, even for today. Speaking loud, showing emotions can be very not accepted in certain cultures, whereas it is a very much a part of a cultural system when one thinks about it. So it depends from absolutely a place to place, which place you are. And when you go back in time, what my understanding has been is also, you know, through certain Ayurvedic texts like Charak Samhita, has tried to understand how insanity was understood. One was, of course, because of physical thing another also because how the spirit influenced so the very idea of spirit influencing the mind of people so there were various ways in which insanity was understood the scientific rational method is product of enlightenment but incarceration is even a further product of modernity not only incarcerating them but also imagining them way beyond the periphery of the core of the cities like end of delhi just to give you example if you look at the map of the siege of 1857 you would realize that how the place where the delhi asylum is was actually outside the city how the very idea of management goes to that level where you have to keep the redundant out of sight and out of mind. You know, how the modern society segregated illness is another question. Our attitudes have changed of acceptance and that needs to be taken care of in different ways. You bring up a very interesting point about this peripheral position both in the society and on the city landscape or in urban planning. And I wonder if you see a change in this trajectory from 19th to 20th century in the treatment of mental illnesses, may it be on policy level or individual understanding of mental health in a society. Of course, the question of segregation became a question of psychiatry. Again, I don't have answer in the context of India because again, no one has looked at seriously the very idea of deinstitutionalization. So deinstitutionalization becomes a very important part of this movement in the 60s from US to different places and deinstitutionalization happened in different places at different timing where this long-term incarceration of 30 years, 40 years, you know, because in my records, not many, but I have come across patients who are there for 30 years, 40 years. You don't know anything about them. They just left there and this started becoming discouraged in a very serious And then integrating them to community, community mental health becomes a very important, again, a movement in history of psychiatry. And I haven't come across whether there is any work in the context of India. Because if you look at psychiatry, 
from even the 20th century there are not many works i think my work was the one which tried to literally piecemeal you know bring together the sense of chronology to the 1900s as such because the earlier work have looked at 19th century like you know there are monographs who have looked at the white insane and insanity especially about women in insanity cannabis in insanity when you come to the 20th century there's not much and after 50s there is absolutely nothing we do not know like how many people in india were let's say lobotomized there was lobotomy that i know of and i have come across few records but, but this idea of bringing them back has been there for a very very long period of time and again this idea keeps on being played upon in a very very different ways when you look at the low income country and high income countries and how you know who perceives it because for them there are better chances of recovery in the community based countries uh, but another question needs to be asked whether community based countries do have enough support to provide them there are different questions which come from different directions in that way you bring up a valid and important point and also you just briefly touched upon it about women and insanity hysteria was first primarily diagnosed amongst women because hysteria related to the uterus so how has this equation of gender and mental illness evolved through time there exist you know famous works on female insanity and one very popular one and very significant one is elaine showalter's called the female malady how women have been considered to be mad for a very long period of time and how it has impacted their lives in so many forms from bulimia to anorexia to so many other things their idea of who they are the very essence has been controlled by society but in the context of india especially 19th century is considered to be the century where more and more women were declared insane but when you think about india actually that statistics are very different the, the number of women in the asylum was far less than the number of men 4 to 10 like if 10 men and 4 women or 3 women so that less or probably 2 women at times because this is something to do with not only caste but also parda and also ideas about not being able to leave women in these institutions so that remained a very important problem for people who would not go to the asylums and asylums were again those places who will pick women from roadside usually this is how it went where the police officer will pick the people on the roadside with the help of a medical officer they were declared and certified insane and then they were sent to the mental hospital so there are few times when you see number of prostitutes and some women there especially wives of sepoys who were you know through military and everything but not many so that way there is a complete lack in indian women again there is no puerperal insanity insanity after the childbirth the number of these ideas that again you know going back to the very idea that insanity is a disease is not prevalent in the uncivilized because the primitive is close to the nature it's a disease of civilization because of the burden of civilization so the white have the chances of going more insane than the natives and these are the ideas which are you know refurbished renovated reimagined till the 1950s and the 60s as well 
you know how these ideas continue to change as such that's an important thing so the puerperal insanity is that one idea the indian women were less prone to suffer from post natal childbirth and again one they would not reach out to hospital to i think the very belief that there were communities to take care which we know today is not true so again how these ideas were understood and how these cultural concepts also undermined sickness is been to be thought about I think this is a nice way to go look into the people themselves. I mean, so far we've spoken about the institutions, the systems, but what about the people? Both the people who were labeled as being mentally ill, the families of the people who were mentally ill, as well as these caretakers, the people in the mental asylums who were taking care of them. Do we know anything about them? they have very interesting relationship in that sense you know one substance which was constantly controlled in the asylum was the ganja and the cannabis the british feared that cannabis is causing insanity though they never did anything about it because they wanted to churn revenue but it was often smuggled and these were the attendants who were smuggling them the attendants were beating the patients sometimes the patients were beating the attendants so they lived in close proximity in that way and what is also very interesting is even in sanity the higher caste will not eat of the lower caste so the cooks have to be brahmin so there is a very interesting hierarchy social life which is there there were franciscan nuns who were in the lower mental hospital taking care of the women's part so this was a very vibrant word in a different way where there was insanity there was chaos but in chaos there was mundane there was the you know daily life of people who were working in these people wanted to not really work in the mental hospital because it was not popular but then there are these attendants who are working there so there is this relationship a close matrix which has to be looked upon from the nurses attendants patients and also the psychiatrist and the making of the psychiatrist because till the 40s and the 50s they're all going abroad to study india still does not have proper way of educating them so they're constantly going to these trips to england to maudsley hospital and to germany to get educated and i think this is something which again comes from my new project we are foreign made indian liquor we constantly apply the methods of western psychiatry on indians as such this frustrations of not knowing enough you know, or not developing their own ideas are also there for the first generation of psychiatrist and of course we do not know what it meant to be the first generation of modern indian psychiatrist you know who were trained there worked here lived these you know lives worked in the structures infrastructures which were more like jail and even today most of these mental hospitals were parts of jail or are 100 years old banaras is banaras was established in 1809 bareilly 1913 agra in 1860s many of them are still in the similar buildings they have been revamped over the period of time being in an institution and yet working with who and, and talking about modern structures and modern infrastructures and modern ways of curing so the you know living that paradox and coming from developing country what it meant for the patient and the doctor both is again something which one needs to look at so i'm very interested in looking at the training of the nurses which also only started to happen in the 20s and the 30s but again i have not come across much about that 
but also training of the psychiatrist. And who were these? Especially the first Indians, because till the 1930s, usually the superintendent were the white men. They were never Indians as such. It's only by the 30s, mid-30s, with the Indianization of all the services happening that one can find. Indian men are entering into the upper echelon of being the superintendent of the mental hospitals. Do you have recurring categories of mental illnesses such as maybe mania or other categories that tend to dominate some of these archives and descriptions over others? There is a category in the 19th century called religious melancholia. Other than this broader ideas about mania, melancholia, you know, which are broadly there, the categories continue to change till the 20s and 30s. Of course, there is dementia periox, there is schizophrenia, which comes in the 30s, becomes very fashionable. Every fourth person out of the cases are schizophrenic. But there are these interesting categories which... You don't find anything about them when you look at them. When you think about today, they don't exist. So these categories have continued to fold and change in so many ways. Could you give us an example of these interesting one-off cases that you know were identified there and no longer are? Yeah, there are many actually, but I can tell you one case. So this he's my hero for all the reasons. His name was Bachulal. So he looted a bank in Octamandi, Uti. And one can think about the exact problem for the colonial period as such. He is sent to Andaman and he is sentenced as Kalapani where he burns cloth houses and then he creates chaos and everything. He's sent to then to the Banaras Mental Hospital. The Banaras Mental Hospital was for the criminally insane. There also he again torture the attendant, annoys them, you know. And then he's sent to Agra Mental Hospital where they are not able to keep him. And then he is eventually, he comes out. They are not able to diagnose him. So there is no diagnosis there. That was very common. Another very interesting case. So 1930s, it's 18-year-old boy who's in love with radio singer Kamla Jharia. He wants to marry her. So he comes from the family of the lawyers who believed in scientific because the middle class idea of the scientific man is also emerging by this period. They send him to the mental hospital where he's diagnosed with confusional insanity. So this guy, I think he's there for a month and then his parents take him out. He's just an 18 year old man who's madly in love. These are some cases of Bachulal. So there is no diagnosis. His diagnosis is no diagnosis because he is such a trouble to authorities that they can't keep him. But that's one rare case where he is not insane. He's basically a troublemaker. But in case of Gopal Narayan, he's diagnosed of confusional insanity. You mentioned the Lahore Asylum a couple of times. And one of the individuals who was there was Sadat Hassan Manto. How did he end up there? I really don't know how he ended up there, but I did find him in the records. And I was the first one to find him in the records. And I was super excited. But what was written with him was that he was Raza Manth. It was a voluntary admission. And as much I know, he suffered from severe alcoholism. So again, you know, one reason of people going to mental hospitals were also we did not have rehabilitation centers as such. So alcoholism, social deviance, promiscuity. So all these ideas were fitted into also the larger category of madness as such. 
But of course, there is a lot of interesting discussion about him, how he felt not accepted in Pakistan as such, especially, you know, after going back from India, how he lost his identity as very famous and how laws were very strict and how it pushed him to delusion in certain ways and alcohol. I start my book with Majaz, this very famous poet, meets in the mental hospital. Bidrohi Kavi, the Bengali poet, and he asks him, Ki, you know, he himself replies and says that we and then he says Lahore or Dhaka and then he pauses and says so basically the mental hospitals were everywhere there was no escape from them you know the notion to start with very interesting idea about the poet and the madman he met Kazi Nazrul Islam he was a Bengali poet, was known as Bidrohi Kavi, and he was suffering from a neurological disease. And he lost his ability to speak. Majaz again was insane because of alcohol. Majaz Laknafi, he was a very famous poet, and with Sadat Hasan Manto's story, Toba And what also made my journey interesting was during my postdoc, and while I was finalizing this book, I could go to Pakistan, I could go to Lahore. For me, very exciting moment. Gangaram was the chief architect of the Lahore city, and he was also the chief architect of the Lahore Mental Hospital. To be able to see that building, which I have been looking at in the plans of 1890s and all the discussion and reading about them, to see if this was really a very great moment for me. And of course, being a third generation refugee, it means altogether a very different thing because what I've heard all my childhood from my grandmother is all about Pakistan. So for her, you know, it is a land she never left and she cannot leave. So it's a land of her memory. And I think she has passed on to her grandchildren. So it was a very weird, very heavy, yet very romantic notion also crossing the border. So I think as a woman, it was even more exciting and dangerous. So I think, you know, the danger becomes exciting. So yes, and I was able to find Manto's name in the mental hospital. The family had already tried to trace whether actually it happened and what time it happened. They were not able to. Somehow I was able to come across these registers and I was able to find his name. It did give me a lot of closure to my story, to not being able to go on the other side of silence. So I was able to revisit that in different ways. That's a wonderful way to end this discussion. We'd love to have you back later to discuss more where this journey leads to, to continue from where you've left off both in time and space in terms of mental health. Thank you so much, Shilpi. We hope to have you back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. This podcast series is the result of a foundation project implemented by the India Foundation for the Arts under its Archives and Museums program in collaboration with the SL Bhatia History of Medicine Museum, Library and Archives with part support from the Parijat Foundation.